welcome to Paint Ed. PCA provides painting contractors with connections they need to grow their business. To find out more and to become a member, go to PCAPaintEd.org. Find more great content like this on PCA Overdrive. A subscription to the platform is included with membership. For all you non-members out there, sign up for our free trial. PCA Overdrive is available on the Apple Store and Google Play. In today's podcast, we feature an episode of Contractor Evolution from Breakthrough Academy. In this episode, Igor and Danny answer questions curated from the audience and members, as well as how to implement a culture of accountability without scaring people off. Hey, before we get started, make sure you subscribe to this channel. It really helps us produce all this awesome content for you totally for free. Hey everyone, welcome back to Contract Revolution. Uh, we've got a really fun episode today. We uh, we get a ton of questions from our BTA members, from our podcast listeners, and uh, every once in a while we like to kind of comb over them and answer a few. So today we've got five questions, we've got five answers. Igor, are you ready? I'm ready and I'm excited, man. Okay, let's do it. So question number one is from Tim Gartland. Uh, He runs a company called Hamilton Land Services in Atlanta, Georgia. And the question is this, what are your most critical management rhythms if you only had a couple hours a week or even a couple hours a month to understand your business's performance? what would be the most critical data points? That's a great question. I think um, the first thing that comes to mind for me is that it's it's pretty hard to lead if you don't have the data, like you don't know what is going on in your business. Mm-hmm. You're just, you're, you're kind of flying blind in terms of being able to make the right kind of decisions and navigate your business effectively. So um, the first thing that comes to mind for me is like, I need to know my business's KPIs, like the key performance indicators on a pretty rhythmical basis, ideally weekly. Like you only have 52 of them in a year. So if it it, it's becomes very difficult to, to manage the business without that on a regular basis. So things that I would want to be reviewing on a weekly basis would be marketing metrics, sales metrics, production, and then the financial viability of that of that production. I would right? also say like if you if you run a business where your job sizes are very big, you're a big construction mm-hmm. contractor. Right. Monthly's okay too. Less like more like in more infrequently than that, I would say is problematic. Quarterly is probably not often enough. If you can do weekly great, but monthly is adequate. Correct. Yeah, that's a good point. If if average job size is is, is really high, uh, like bigger construction, then then yes, monthly. But key key things that come to mind for me are like counts of qualified leads coming in. Mm. So how well are we doing on the marketing front? Uh, from a sales, like estimate counts and jobs booked and the closing ratios in there. Mm. Uh, the number, the amount of dollars booked, like pure sales volume booked on a regular basis, uh, production dollars produced on, on the work that's completed and the gross profit margin on that production. It just tells you so much. So gross profit, meaning, uh, you know, we produced a a $30,000 job. What's left after labor materials, all the variable costs that go cost a good sold, some people call it, that go into that job. So uh, there's a lot that that number tells you. If you've got like people problems, production inefficiency, uh, bad usage of, of materials and supplies, like it'll show up in that in that number, not not being where, where it should be. So that's kind of what I'd be looking at. Um, at, a, at a minimum, you're looking at those numbers, but ideally you're able to compare them to a plan, mm. right? So if I run um, 
like a like a landscape maintenance company i run a roofing company a painting company whatever hopefully you're you're looking at this stuff weekly as you said big bigger picture you know bigger average job size construction then maybe the picture is a bit more like monthly but either way hopefully you can actually compare this to a plan ideally you've got a business plan that's that's broken down to each week of the year every month of the year and you're able to say okay, well, this week we were supposed to do this many estimates or this month we were supposed to do this many estimates and how did we do against that? So that would be kind of like like on a, on a baseline, I think what you need to be looking at um, as a leader from a numbers perspective. And then, and I think in a perfect world, you've got um, a high leverage time with your team. We do it in the form of a weekly team huddle. And there is actually a contract revolution episode. If you look at the list of episodes, we've done a whole episode of how we structure our team huddles. Um, but ideally there's a time where all of the key people on your team, you've got a standing, it's the same time every single week and you're able to recap here were the big wins and big successes from last week. Here's where we kicked ass as a group. And, uh, and here's where we were supposed to be at for results. And here's where we came in at, and yeah. here's what we need to be mindful of this week moving forward. And here are the goals for this week. So that's kind of like a, a really, I would call like a high leverage time as a leader, because you put in that, that you know, you've got some prep time, but then you're either putting 30 minutes, 45, 60 minutes in. That's what a team model should be, somewhere between 30 and 60 minutes where you've, like I said, you're going over like a bunch of wins and, and, and high energy, really good stuff. You're recapping where you should have been at, what the results should have been, where they actually came in and then the plan for the upcoming week. Everyone's on the same page. I'd, I'd call that pretty high leverage time as a leader. Sure. But the other thing too, that, that is going to happen from time to time, you, you look at a very broad set of data, you're looking at you're looking at some marketing stuff, you're looking at some sales stuff, you're looking at how your production is rolling along, you're looking at how profitable mm -hmm. everything is. Every once in a while there is going to be, um, you know, I don't know if I want to call it like an oh shit moment, but you will see variants that you don't like. You'll see, you'll, you know, one month, yeah. you look at this, okay, whoa, this big project. Uh, we went way over budget on or holy smoke sales volume has dropped off a cliff like whatever the case may be there's going to be stuff that you see um, that you don't like and in an instance like that just like throwing it into a team huddle is not good enough you are going to want to like dig mm -hmm. deeper if you see an issue on production go talk to your production manager if you don't have a production manager yet go talk to your crew leaders your foremans figure out what happened hey I've noticed this in the in the data can you give me a little bit more insights a little bit more perspective as to what happened here um, I would help that individual or that group of individuals problem solve it make sure there's an active plan uh, an action plan to correct it um, and then I would I would be I'd make sure I'm doing that one-on-one -on -one time with those individuals as well as like the week like the huddle which is just good to like broadcast for the whole team hey for your awareness this is where we're at in this division but for the division that is perhaps lagging behind you do need to roll up your sleeves and get a little bit more involved so like Example, right? This has happened to me before. You find out, like, on the sales side, like, you had a really, really bad month sales-wise, but your lead flow was totally stable. You can see that enough enough uh, new opportunities came in, but then you look a little bit closer. You're like, man, we just didn't close the deal. So you go talk to your sales manager. You talk to your sales team. Uh, what's going on here? Are the leads mm -hmm. crap quality? Is there a market shift I need to be aware of? like do you guys need some support like some sales coaching like is some do you guys need to be held accountable to <laughs> like just 
kick you in the ass a little bit more, like figure out what the heck is going on um, and then help that individual or that group of individuals solve the problem. Yeah, it's a really good point, right? On this question around critical management rhythms uh, in business, fortunately or unfortunately, the it's it's not always easy. Like uh, the, you know, call it a sailing analogy, like a good sailor isn't always sailing in perfectly calm seas. If it was that way, everyone would be a successful entrepreneur. You are paid to be able to navigate through storms. So seas aren't always calm every now and then you're like, you are going to have alarming stuff that comes up and that's where your job comes in as a leader. And you're totally right. It is the the way to address this stuff is in uh, one-on-one meetings. We call them goal setting interview meetings that you have weekly with your management staff, but whatever you do call them, uh, whatever you call them, you should have regular recurring weekly at the latest bi-weekly management meetings with your key people. Yeah. And that's the place to, to, to course crack. So to just to wrap here, basically we're saying kind of three things. You're, you're, you're checking your aggregate data for the business as a whole. That's quiet time. You're, you're doing that in a very focused fashion. You're examining it closely. You're figuring out what's out of whack, what is what is not in line with the plan. From there, if, you, if, there, if there's managing to be done, you do that through one-on-ones. And then the other thing that you would want to do is communicate what is happening, good or bad, with the rest of the yeah. team in the form of a huddle. Okay, let's move on to question two. Um, this is from Jeremy Riddick, uh, a company called Element Roofing in Carmel, Indiana. What are two to three keys to retaining superstar employees? I really like this question. Mm, That's a great question. Yeah. Um, Biggest thing that comes to mind for me is like you have to first understand why they're there and what they want, right? Like they clearly- The superstars. The superstars. They join your team for a reason. And I would guess to say that every superstar employee has a path where they want to go. Like they are that way because they have some intentionality- with where they're headed in their life and their career. So uh, having an understanding of that why, uh, it typically happens in the later stage interview process. So don't forget that, that that when you're dealing with high performers, as they start, you have to have an understanding of why they're there and where they want to go. Um, further to that, uh, I think they will expect regular communication, and I'd call it annually, where you're checking in on, on, on where they're at on that path and where they want to go from there. So this, this kind of, you know, this can come in the form of like an annual performance review or a career development meeting, which on the note of contract revolution episodes, we have a full episode on that. If you look at the, if you pop back to the list of, of episodes on our show, you'll find one around career development meetings. And, um, you know, there should be focus space on this. Ideally, it's every December, January, somewhere in that time when people are thinking about the year ahead. Uh, but you should be checking in on on, on where they're at and where they want to go. Should be front of mind. Not all your your staff and your team are equal. High performers need uh, special attention, so to speak, on mm-hmm. an annual basis on their path with you. Mm-hmm. On that path, while they're while they're moving along it or up it, they're ascending, right? I think it's really important that you, um, like I call it, you, you pour into them. You're mm-hmm. developing skills, you're nurturing their talents, you're helping them get certifications and education that they want and need. If you're not qualified to do that, you can outsource it. Hire them a coach, send them to a school or help them finish an apprenticeship or like whatever it is um, that they're asking for or they're needing to progress uh, that is your job and that is something that they will either find through you or they'll, they'll find it elsewhere. The other thing that I, um, 
really feel strongly about with with superstar employees is they need to be recognized like mm. you one thing you really don't want is for your 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 best staff to quietly in their mind go man do they have any idea how hard i work do they do they see right. what i really do here do they understand the value i bring they're quietly thinking that in the background. It's a recipe for resentment, and it's your job to go out of your way. Be vulnerable. Say, hey, man, or what, like, hey, we, you know, we could not do this without you. You do a really, really amazing job in these specific areas. You know, we see you as a leader. Uh, we want to build into you. Those, those, those little pats on the back, those words of encouragement, um, it, it really, really matters. And, and you just, at the end of the day, you, you don't want them feeling like they're taken for granted. Mm-hmm. And my last point on how to hold on to superstar, superstar staff sounds a little harsh. Get rid of the low performers, right? <laughs> like, you, like, and if you can't, like if, you, if your business in, is in a place where, hey, you know, we just, you know, I know these people maybe aren't the best, but we need to keep them around for a while. Like, I get that. Um, it's probably not what you want to do long term, but there are periods where that's just the way it needs to be. At the very least, like limit their interaction with the low performers. Like get them in an environment where they're working with other smart, dynamic people that they can learn from, that they can be challenged by, that they can feel inspired by. So that's something that I think needs to be said. It's 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 good people want to work with good people, and if they're not, um, that's that's gonna that's gonna weigh on them, and they'll, they'll go find somewhere else to do that. Yeah, they're really, really good points, man. Uh, one thing I just want to come back to that you you were talking about pouring in to high performers, yeah. and I think some leaders might sometimes feel, I don't know if it's intimidated or maybe inadequate might be the better word to use to pour into certain people. Like if, for instance, if you're a really good operator, uh, but your background isn't deep, deep in sales, and you've got an absolute rock star salesperson. Um, and, and, and they want to take their game to another level and you feel ill-equipped to take them there, there are so many programs, courses, coaches that you can enroll them into, mm-hmm. right, to develop that in them. And, and you can use that analogy for, for any, any, any type of role or any aspect of business, but don't let your kind of maybe feelings of where you might be skilled or, or more so unskilled and inadequate uh, get in the way of, of doing this. There are so many ways if you can creatively problem solve how to, how to pour in, into people in other ways. Cool. Uh, let's do question three. Uh, this is from Toby Woodowis. Woodowis, one of our favorites. He's been a guest on the show in the past from Woodowis Painting in the Bay Area. Um, okay, so it's what have you done to create a raving customer fan base? What are... Who are your customers who are fiercely loyal and how do you maintain that relationship? Mm, another very interesting question. Can I start on the one? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so like, let's keep this like super, super simple. Two steps, okay? Uh, you need to get people's impression and feeling of you to be exceptionally positive. And then two, make it super easy for them to share that publicly, right? If I'm running a contracting company today, I'd want to blow the socks off people's expectations and grease the wheels and make it super easy for them to rave everywhere about that. Right. Okay. Um, so let's just, let's talk about those two things. Uh, number one on the customer's impression. So people's perception of, well, to be honest, like everything in life, uh, boils down to one simple thing, which is what were my expectations and what is the reality against 
those expectations, right? Like we had Eric Tremondi in the show. We were talking about like people being pissed off that the Wi-Fi isn't working on a plane as you're flying at like 600 miles an hour through the air. All like this just came out and all of a sudden you feel entitled that you should be able to get Wi-Fi at 40,000 feet in the air. It's just everything's about what were my expectations and what happened, not the objective reality. So when people go into a contracting job, there are certain expectations of what that is and isn't going to look like. Fortunately for you, our industry is pretty archaic and generally speaking, expectations aren't super high. Their expectations of their roofing job aren't generally going to be as, as they're not expecting the polished experience of experience of, I don't know, like an Apple store purchasing experience. Right. right? So there's so many opportunities. Uh, and, and the way that I'd look at this is just very simply grab a long piece of paper or a whiteboard and map out not just your customer experience, but the prospect experience before they're your customer. Uh, but they've got every touch point with your company. Right. So wherever they're going to touch your company, even when they're just a prospect and during the job, what's every touch point that they have with you? And think about where can I go plus one with all of them? What do you mean plus one? So I mean, where are they not expecting something and we're going to deliver big or small, just something special where they're like, huh, this is different. Right. Right. So think, let's just think back to even the prospect stage, right? You've got, you've got an, 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 uh, you get an estimate coming up. There's so many easy automated tools that will send them a nice beauty and you can craft the wording in a nice cheeky kind of way of text message reminders one day before the estimate. Uh, you can have something drop to their phone or their email, which is like a pre-estimate package with a great video about you, right? Where, where you're introducing yourself in the company before you've even showed up. Uh, we had, um, Sumo quote, we had Ryan here, the founder of Sumo quote, you can blow their socks off with such beautiful proposals that are also really fast to make. And, uh, and this technology isn't expensive, but you can have your proposals unlike any other companies, right? Anyway, there, there's so many opportunities. Um, we had uh, James Alish here on the show. Uh, prior to being the director of 1-800-GOT-JUNK, he uh, was very involved in You Move Me and You Move, you move Me after every move which is what they do, um, they would drop off like a really beautiful plant for their new home, right? So there's just stuff that like people aren't, like they don't mention it, stuff just people aren't expecting, but you leave them with this whole series of these plus ones. They add up. They add up, right? And and again, they don't have to be big. They can be text message reminders with with really, you know, nice wording in them. Um, but uh, th- that's that first step is, is, is just very simply like, you got to get people's impression to be exceptionally positive. And in our industry, thankfully, expectations aren't high. So it's easy to go plus one. So that, that, that's, the, that's, that's, that's the first part. That's step one. And then the own, and then second step, very simple framework. Second step is make it so easy for them to share. Again, thankfully for you, uh, we live in a very modern world with amazing technology. If you, if you don't have a system like Broadly, B-R-O-A-D-L-Y, check it out online. There is st- there's and there's a whole bunch of these we really like broadly, but they're automated review softwares. Yeah, right. They're an approved vendor partner in Breakthrough Academy, so you no longer have to be some crazy coder to build this stuff. But it's it's super simply they get uh, a reminder and you tell them about it, but they get a reminder to review you. Um, it's very easy to have online online reviews light up uh, and for them to tell the world. It just lubricates you. the whole process. Yeah. Like it's just, it's it, it gives them a prompt. It, there's, it's templated. It posts it for them. It reminds you, the owner, it gives you a notification. Hey, this review is coming up. Do you need to like look at it or make a change? It's, it's a really, really good platform. 
Um, yeah. And that, that's that's the second piece. First of all, go plus one wherever you can. Second of all, make it extremely, extremely easy for them. Yeah, this stuff's fun too, right? Like like you, you totally. service so many customers, like just get some think space, turn off your phone, open a long piece of paper or a whiteboard and just map out all of the touch points that, that your company has with prospects and customers and make it freaking cool. Totally. Right? Um, and then just to, on, on Toby's question, one thing to add, uh, not all all contracting companies have this, but if you've got some business reason, like in business logic, why it would make sense to, to nurture a long-term relationship. Um, again, there's so much technology for this. Like in your CRM, you can set up follow-ups, whether it's like three months out, six months out of a job, after a job, whatever, where a reminder pops up and you've got someone on your team that calls to check in with the customer or an automated system to send out Christmas cards to everyone that you service that year. Um, There's just, there's unique things that you can do where they might've gotten a roof put on it at Christmas. They get a Christmas card from you. They'd be like, what? Like, like people remember that shit. Totally. They do. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Hope that was a good answer, Toby. Let's go to question number four from another Toby, Toby Wessel, new beginnings construction in Charleston, South Carolina. Toby asks, what percentage of revenue do you recommend spending on advertising? And are there types of advertising that should be done before others? Mm -hmm. Uh, I'd say on average, most entrepreneurs in the contracting space don't spend as much as they should on advertising because it's this like short-term pain, especially in an economy the way that it is. It doesn't, um, you don't often see it. You're like, wow, like I'm not really spending anything. I spend only like 20,000 bucks a year, like a minuscule percentage and, and, uh, and that's fine. And we, we still got business, but it's one of these things where you're like, well, I'm nice and thin and fit right now. Cause I'm young, but how do you keep things that way? Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and I don't even need that well, but, but what I'm suggesting is like, well, maybe you should put a little bit more money and, and time and focus on, on eating really well. Cause it'll pay off long-term. It's a brand is one of these things that you brand and marketing is one of these things that you just build into long-term and it, it spools up like a flywheel. Uh, Let's give them a range. Time. So as a range, I'd say six to 10% of revenue, right? So if you run a $2 million business, somewhere between 120000 and $200,000 mm. in a year should be going to brand and marketing. Um, okay. But uh, six to 10%. Benji, what are your thoughts? Uh, that sounds about right to me. I would, yeah, I was going to say 8%. Um, to the second part of the question on like w- where to start, what to do before others. Um it's my opinion that you you start with what's cheap and easy. Like you you start with I don't want to say like guerrilla marketing tactics, but but maybe the lower tech, lower cost of entry type stuff and just see how that does. Um and the reason I say that is cuz a lot of people have very very bad. They've got like real PTSD. Or they've got baggage from working <laughs> with marketers. I've had Mark Levesque on the show like you can you can really blow through um a pile of money and not get very much back if you don't know what you're doing. So to uh, to keep it safe and comfortable early on in the journey as a contractor, stuff that I have done that's worked very, very, very well is an incentivized referral program. You know, if you're um, getting a, a like maybe a, a really nice bottle of wine or there's a voucher to go out for like a date night or a night at a spa or something like that, that you give to your customers when they refer their friends to do business with you. That's super, super low hanging fruit. It works like a charm. 
you want to figure out what the actual incentive is and what makes sense for your business. But in an incentivized referral program is huge. Flyers uh, are cheap and easy door knocking. If it makes sense for your model, if it doesn't, you don't need to job site signs are a must get it, get your vehicle wrapped. Um, nice company clothing is really easy to do. And it also makes it's good for your employer brand as well. Um, a basic and clean website, if you can afford it and if you can get that done, I, so just my opinion, so take it with a grain of salt. But if you have a really shitty website, I actually think that that does more harm than good. 100%. So if, you, if you're just like, you know what? I can't get my head around this. I want a really nice site, but like I don't know enough about web development. I just can't get to it right now. Like don't go and half-ass it and then, and then like be like, oh, I have a website now. Great, because you're actually damaging your brand. So if you're, if you're not wanting to tackle that straight on just yet, just do social media. Like have a decent Instagram page, have a decent Facebook page, leave it at that. Come back to the website thing later on when you're ready. The other um, quick and dirty one is join a BNI chapter, right? Mm. Like networking is huge. They do it in a very structured way. Most, I mean, every once in a while, somebody has maybe they don't get into a good chapter. Go find one that does work. 99% of the people that I talk to that work with BNI have had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars referred to them over the years. So that's like, that's the stuff that you should start with later on as your company develops. Invest in a proper brand package. So you could hire a graphic designer or work with a branding agency, depending on, mm-hmm. um, uh, depending on where your budget sits. Whatever you do there, remember that building a brand, no one, it's not about you. It's about what your customer thinks is cool. Right. So when you're naming your company, when you're coming up with graphic designs, when you're picking colors, when you're thinking through the aesthetic for your brand, it's about what your ideal client would think is cool, not what you think is cool. We've talked about that in other episodes. We've had Noel Fox from a branding episode on the show. Uh, if you haven't seen that episode, you should check it out. He's our brand guy. He's, he's, he's built a ton of really powerful brands, but it's funny. I had a Breakthrough Academy member. Uh, listen to that episode just a couple weeks ago and sent me a text be like, hey, I was just thinking about you. <laughs> a logo of a contracting company of a truck he saw on the street is called Bucks with Trucks and it's these guys. <laughs> with guns and deers. guns blazing yeah. up. Not, not a good brand package. Not what your high-end, older, uh, wealthy, customer wealthy customer wants. is looking for. So... When you build a brand, it's not about you. Just remember that. You got to like it, but ultimately it's it's about what your your ideal client wants. Um, I would say like the other later on things, if you're ready for it, like do invest in a properly optimized website, maybe some SEO attached to that. Yeah. And then the other one is just like, <clears throat> I think that when, when the time is right, it's a no brainer to get into paid ads. Like there is no lead source that is more linear when it's done well in the sense oh, that man. it's like dollars yeah. in, more dollars out. It's like an arcade game that like pays you more every single time. Now, this is where, as I said a minute ago, you can really, um, you can kind of blow it if you get with someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. You get uh, working with, you know, what I would call a fake expert. Um, The marketer with the light blue tinge on their glasses. Yeah, like, and I have so (laughs) many friends that have wasted thousands of dollars on, on marketing agencies that don't know what they're doing. So, so, like tread carefully. If you need a little bit more guidance on this, go check out WebRunner online. Listen to the Mark Levesque episode. He is the guy when it comes to paid ads for contractors. But that would be those would be my three things for for like later stage marketing tactics that are probably um, worth the spend. And lastly, I would just say this: if you take care of your customers, this this marketing question will get easier over time. 
the ball will start to roll downhill the leads will eventually start to come to you start coming to mm-hmm. you and 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 that will that will last so that's those are our thoughts on uh on how much you should spend and where to start my main take on that one benji is 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 this this paid ads thing uh mm. in in our industry that that is such a linear one because you have people searching for this like when people are like i need a new roof they tell google much of the time um, and, and there's such a linear way here to say like, Hey, I'm going to grab that person that is searching for this. If I've built a, the right kind of ads and the right kind of targeting and the right landing page, that's going to, going to, going to convert them. There's, you just, you can get to know your ratios and say this many dollars in this many dollars out, but you're right. Like you do, there's a bit of infrastructure there. Like the brand's got to be good enough. You get someone, the right person that knows this stuff's got to set up the, the the look and the, the visual look and the writing on the ads and the targeting and the setup of the page you really should work with someone who know, who knows what they're doing we are fans in our industry because they get our industry web runner media again if you pop open to the list of contract revolution episodes check out the one with mark levesque m-a-r-c and um, th- there's a lot of good stuff uh good information in that episode from mark okay Question number five, our last one. This is from uh, Connor Jones. Hey, Connor, hope you're well. Um, Connor runs a, a, a company called Midcon Exteriors in Lowell, Arkansas. This is a good one to end on. How do you implement a culture of accountability without scaring people off? Mm, that's an interesting one. Um, if we're talking about it in the context of not scaring people off, I think the biggest thing that you want to do is think about how are you creating a culture of accountability in your entire organization where it's evenly distributed. Mm. It's just how it works here. Accountability lives here. We all operate in under this operating system. Like our organization is like that and it has always been that. It's a part of the fabric. Um, It's what we expect. It's just what is here. So it's not that I'm holding you accountable. I hold myself accountable. Every individual in the company is that way. It's just in the DNA. It's in the DNA. Everything's based on the goal, right? And and uh, the entire organization has annual goals, quarterly goals, monthly goals for all aspects of the business, marketing, sales, operations, all that stuff. And every individual contributes to that in their part right so there's a bunch of tangible stuff um maybe benji it would be good to get some of your thoughts around like what some of those those tangible elements are but it it is really like it's got to be built into the fabric of the entire organization yeah if if i were if we were to give like the starter pack of like like little things that you can do to to implement a a culture of accountability um you know, employment agreements with proper deliverables that are really results focused, um, crystal clear expectation setting from like from someone's first day in the business. And and if you're asking, if you're listening to this, you're like, well, I want to hold accountability to people. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to rehire my whole company. Like, what about the staff that have been here and it's been loose before? I want to tighten things up. I would sort of like, I would, you know, make a broadcast. Say, hey, like this year we're going to implement these things. This is the way the business is shifting. Um, 
the people that are not into that will will inevitably show themselves the door, which which is what you want. Trust me. Um, other stuff is really big. Is like you need to have proper reporting. Um, it's kind of cliche, but if you can't measure, you can't manage. Like if you if you don't see what's going on results wise, mm-hmm. you can't have those critical conversations. You can't hold people accountable when you need to. And then um, re- like having results focused team huddles where you're getting together whole organization on a Monday morning or whatever it is, whenever it is you choose to do them. And you're discussing results across marketing, across sales, across production. Um, you're sharing wins. You're talking about the things that weren't wins, the losses. Hey, these are some areas that we really need to p- pick up on. Um, you know, like I, I've said this before, but like high performers check the score. Yeah. So if you want that, you, you need to you need to have a scoreboard and, and be okay talking about that. And it's not this isn't something that happens overnight. Like I think sometimes people go, twenty twenty two, next year it's all gonna be different. It's like you're gonna it's not. You're gonna move the needle and it's gonna start heading in that direction. But if you do these little things, um, you you distribute it evenly, as you said, over the long run, this culture will uh, will start to build itself. And, and once you have it, you, you have it, you know? Yeah, the, the key one uh, with what you're talking about there, Benji, on team huddles is that, th- is that the, the goal focus is communicated to the entire team all at once and everyone gets on the same page of like, that's how we do things here. Uh, on that note, I just want to circle back to the first question from Tim in, in Atlanta who asked about these, these critical kind of management rituals. What I was talking about with as a leader you're reviewing these these key numbers like lead lead count for whatever time frame estimates jobs booked production all that stuff those are the same those are the exact things that you want to be setting goals on for the company right so how many estimates in a certain year in 2022 or whatever the year is do you need to be doing and if you've got multiple salespeople, how many is that per salesperson so then how many is that per individual per month per week there's there've got to be goals for everything in business i mean it sounds a bit harsh but business in a nutshell is about like what were you supposed to do and what did you do totally that's and is there a gap the, yeah is there a gap like if you're to boil success in business down to one sentence i think that that's it um and that culture and that way of operating needs to be a fabric of the entire organization as a whole and in every individual's role. So, um, Benji, just one closing point there, and, and and you talked about this before, but if people that are afraid of that type of operating mm-hmm. shouldn't be hired. So don't worry about scaring people off. That's actually, yeah. that's actually kind of a good thing. Yeah, you know what I mean, like, like that's that's what Connor's asking. How do I do this without scaring people off? And I think I think be okay with with you know this not being for everyone. Yeah, and 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 the caveat, what we got to put an asterisk there. What you don't want to do is like you know, hey Benji, I hold you hard accountable, but no one else. Yeah, that that that's unfair. But if it's level across everybody then yeah, like certain people will show themselves the door and, and, and that's totally cool. So build it in to the fabric. Uh, you want to truly like look at your company and say like, yeah, accountability lives here. Anything else? No, I think, uh, I think that was cool. fun. Let's leave it at that. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back next week. Thanks so much for watching this episode of Contractor Evolution. If you've already subscribed to our channel, consider sharing this episode with another contractor who you think needs to hear it. Painted podcasts are produced by the Painting Contractors Association and is made possible by members and industry partners. 
To find out more about upcoming education opportunities or for more information about joining PCA, visit PCAPaintEd.org.